up y'all it's your boy hilliard guest and you guys are listening to the screenwriters rant room where we keep it real we keep it opinionated we keep it what tracy 2016 we say that because we're better than 100 <laughs> what's up y'all <laughs> you guys know how we do it on the rant room on this show we discuss entertainment tv film music culture but our focus is always screenwriting stories craft and shit like that so y'all hear him, my man over here, Tracy Grant. What it do, what it do. <laughs> Sitting in for Lisa Bolacaja. What's up, Bolacaja? Get back soon. <laughs> Get Keep back doing soon. your fantasy, fiction, horror, adventure, she, she sci-fi, writing, panelist, expert. Damn thing. there, every week she got a damn panel she's on or something. So, um... You guys know how we're doing on the Rant Room. If you guys are grown, let's go ahead and get it in. So today, we got my girl, my new friend over here, Miss Krista Vernoff, writer, producer, the pimp star herself. <laughs> former former actress. <laughs> I'm sure I'm forgetting nine other hyphens. Um, mother? Mother. Uh-huh, and it's Father's Day today. Badass. Oh, uh, I like that one. That's a good now, one. Now we're talking. Okay. Okay. It's Father's Day. My, my daughter has a good father, though, so I can't, I can't take the credit on Father's Day. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> so we're sitting here with Krista Vernoff, you guys. And I always say this little saying. If you don't know who she is, Google her, bitch. Google her. <laughs> it's like, a, like before a first date. <laughs> exactly. Like, look me up. You don't know who I am? Shoot. Anyway, she's been on some of the top shows out there, including one of my favorites what we're going to get really into is Shameless. I talk about Shameless all the time. You do. All the time. Well, I think that's partly why um, the, the, the girl on Facebook referred us that I should have because I always talk about Shameless. Like, oh. Shameless is the show. I'm like, yeah. I'm telling you, you want to learn how to write some gritty shit? Love that. You should be watching Shameless. <laughs> okay? You know, I talk about For Shameless real. all the time, too. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> By the time we're done with this podcast, I'm going to have 27 emails from the writers of yeah. Shameless okay. and talking about Shameless. Okay. For okay. me, it's interesting because when Lisa's here, also L. Boogie White, the other co-host, Linnell. <laughs> Linnell White. Like they're big <clears throat> horror fans. Fantasy, sci-fi, action-adventure mm-hmm. fans. I am not so much. I'm big Marvel. Mm-hmm. Uh, we Chris Derrick was dudes, here. Yeah. We do that. But they have a lot of conversations of which I'm not a part as a fan. <laughs> but Shameless is my shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. so For lack of a better that. term, it's yeah. just... So, very excited it's that you're relatable. here. It's relatable. It's relatable. Yes. And it's all about... For instance, here's here's here. I was explaining this to somebody recently about Shameless because I, I was talking to a, a female writer and she was like, "Well, what show should I write?" And I was like, "Well, if it stays on, and you decide this is what you want to write, if you don't want to write any other show, you should write a Shameless." And here's why. Just my opinion, yep. right? 
I said, here's why. I said, Fiona's character and the way that they've built this family, it's to me, and you know more about it than I do, because damn it, you on the damn show <laughs> didn't want to bring me in last year. <laughs> anyway, no, I'm kidding. So <laughs> to me, that show will set you free. And what I mean is it opens up the door for any smart producer, EP, whatever, who's staffing to see if you can handle this show, you can probably handle almost any show, in my opinion. Here's why. Character, development, family, love, passion, anger, grittiness. I mean, there's not... Oh, I was about to say. And it's funny, too. It has all those elements in one. Yeah. Probably about the only show that I could think of right now that has all the elements in one. In every episode, at some point, you almost get teary-eyed at some point. That's awesome. Ain't that a drip? Very. That's real talk. Very over the top. That's real talk. You know, that's that's one of the main reasons that I actually went, that I actually took that job. Okay. Is that I was, you know, I was tired and I had a, a little kid and I had left Grey's Anatomy so I could be home with my kid more. I was developing mm-hmm. and uh, my agent called and said, you know, Shameless is hiring. And I was like, I don't want to staff. I'm tired. I want to be with my kid. And he said, um, well, first watch it because mm-hmm. he knows me really well. And I hadn't seen the show. <laughs> I was like, let's, let's watch it over the weekend and then we'll talk about it. But the other thing was, you know, you need this credit on your resume if mm-hmm. you want to get into edgier fare because mm-hmm. uh, as a woman who'd real. been writing Grey's Anatomy real for seven talk. years, yes. real talk, mm-hmm. it's, you know, you, you sort of hope that by that point in your career, somebody could look at your resume and go, well, she did Grey's Anatomy, she also did Law and Order, mm-hmm. and she also did Charmed, mm-hmm. and she's probably a versatile person. Mm-hmm. But I don't think particularly as a woman, this town is inclined to <laughs> assume anything. Sure. To Talk about it. To sure. earn everything. Yes. And it, it was like, oh, I need an edgier, less no joke, this was the word, less mm-hmm. female credit mm-hmm. on my resume if I want everybody to understand that I can develop anything and mm-hmm. that I can sort of navigate any voice that, mm-hmm. that I choose to. And uh, so it was that and also that I had heard extraordinary things about John Wells yes. from good friends who mm-hmm. said, if you ever have a chance to go work for him, go do it because you'll mm-hmm. learn a lot. And and uh, and so I went and that I, I, both of those things have turned out to be true. Shameless has helped in terms of i think industry perception mm-hmm. of what i can do mm-hmm. and also i've learned a lot from john wow so she's had what i call a twofer shonda and john wells so you got to learn from both camps right uh am i right uh, you are you are right you are right i would also Dick wolf well, yeah, also yeah, yeah. if we really yeah. take it back sure yeah um, yes. And, and I was there in the very early years of Shonda. So okay. I would say that I also got to teach in both camps. Ah, <laughs> Shonda was new to TV. Okay. And I wasn't. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, uh, so yes, but I learned a lot working with Shonda. Right. And, uh, and yeah, Dick Wolf, I did, I did one episode of Law and Order. Okay. Um, Brad Kern was a tremendous teacher to me, too. And he was the showrunner on Charmed. Okay. So let's go back a little bit. Let's tell the kids where you're from and how you got into the game. Because you used to be an actor, too. So how did that, yeah. how did that all come about? Um, I was an actor. I went to theater school. I went mm-hmm. to the College of Fine Arts at Boston University. I was ah. a classical theater girl. Really? And, mm. uh, and, and in my... Hence, hence how she sits. She got that... <laughs> Very <laughs> sitting up straight. I got Theatrical. Look at her. Had a little bit of dance class. Technique. I see you. you know. I see you. Um, <laughs> so, um, 
uh, I went to acting school. I was an actor. I was raised by actors. Mm-hmm. And um, and my senior year in school, I took a playwriting class from uh, an extraordinary teacher and mentor uh, who has since passed named John Lipsky, okay. uh, an incredible playwright. And I wrote a play, and mm. it was like a revelation in my life. It was like, oh, you can feel this deeply satisfied and not crazy and insecure and thinking you're too fat all the time the way you do as an actor. (laughs) Like, what is this? Uh And I decided that that was it. I'd written one play. (laughs) I was going to quit acting and be a writer. Mm -hmm. And everybody who loved me told me that that was a fear-based decision that I that really? that that I here I was graduating BU was like number 2 to Juilliard at the time mm-hmm. it was a really great theater training mm-hmm. program it, it was a cuts based program here I was I was graduating there were only 17 of us who'd made it through at, wow. from like an, an initial really? 64 wow so and I took one writing class and was like I'm throwing it all away <laughs> and I, so everybody was like you no mm-hmm. you should you can't no and at that age and at that time, you know, it was sort of everybody, everybody. Mm. Nobody was like, yeah, go be a writer. <laughs> of course. And so I um, I moved this to This is New last York. year, by the way. This she didn't tell you. Is, yeah. Of course. I'm so young. Uh, I moved to New York and um, and I, uh, I got a job waiting tables and I supposedly was there to be an actor. Okay. But I took a screenwriting class at the new school because mm. I couldn't let it go. Mm-hmm. And um, that was a movie writing class. But in that class, that teacher told me that she thought I was a TV writer because I very clearly think in dialogue. Mm. I think in dialogue rather mm-hmm. than thinking in visuals, probably because I was steeped like a tea bag in mm-hmm. theater, right. which is dialogue. It's mm-hmm. similar to TV. And so, um, and so I wrote that script. And then I, I lived in New York for a couple more years and, you know, drank too much and <laughs> quit, quit, quit drinking. And finally, it was just like, I'm not doing anything here as mm. an actor. And so I decided that I would move to Portland because I had a friend, Peter Page, oh, who's Peter. now running oh, yeah. the Foster, creating the Peter Fosters. Well. You do? Mm-hmm. He's my best friend forever. Right. And I'm trying to get him on the show for like a year and a half. Okay, so I'm he's busy. Oh, you know, oh, like he got a job. I'll or something. talk to him. Talk <laughs> like to he's her. a showrunner or something. You know what I mean? uh, so, Pete, actually, the two people who I followed to Portland, Oregon, mm-hmm. no joke. Because I, we went to school together and we were friends and they were making lives in Portland, mm-hmm. were Peter Page okay. and Michaela Watkins. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. Isn't it? <laughs> yes. Huh. So we all were in Portland together, being theater actors, okay. and uh, and I did that for a couple of years. And then in the second year that I was in Portland, I made my living acting. I got my equity card, and I didn't have to wait tables that year. I did wait tables a little bit. I was a singing waitress on the Portland Spirit. Oh. <laughs> but I didn't have to. I made my living acting. And once I had done that, I felt like I had proven something to my friends and family who thought that my my writing calling was was sort of fear based thinking, mm-hmm. and, and I mean it. I was like, I did it. I proved mm. it. I am done. <laughs> I put my headshots in storage. I packed really? what I could into a car, and I moved to Los Angeles. Peter moved down a few months before me. He sort of paved the way, mm-hmm. and then I came down, and then Michaela came down a few months behind wow. me. Wow! And then our other friend, Bill Harper, who <laughs> was a friend we made in the theater community there, moved down behind Michaela. Now he runs Grey's Anatomy. Wow! So it, what we all came down here okay. like uh, on a wing and a prayer, okay. and and then helped each other. Wow! Uh, to the degree that we could, and and uh, and so I moved down behind Peter, and I had written a whole bunch. This I skipped that. I was writing the whole time I was in Portland. I was rehearsing and I was writing and I was doing plays and I'd be sort of frantically writing and people would be like, 
what? This is kind of a weird day job. It was like I was treating my <laughs> acting mm-hmm. career like a day job. Right. My heart was with the writing, and it and it. I came to understand that as fear based as it may look to other people, it was actually inspiration based for mm. me. And I had to follow it. I had to follow it. I yeah. had no call anymore mm. to act. Mm-hmm. And so I moved to LA. I never even told anyone I was an actor. It was over. Mm. And. Uh, and Peter gave some spec scripts that I'd written to his friend Chris Lasada, mm. who was an assistant at some lit agency where his friend, who was also an assistant, <laughs> got promoted to agent at some smaller lit agency. Uh-huh. And so it was like through my friends who were assistants that I ended up with my first agent. Interesting. And that's and that was Right. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far <laughs> right. away. But not terribly different yeah. than some of what you hear today as far mm-hmm. as people getting started and the whole agent relationship, mm-hmm. the importance Somebody of referred me. the television side. But it sounds like you were ready, though. I was you ready had because I, product. I had the product. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was writing and writing and writing. Peter and I wrote a movie together up oh, in really? Portland. It was, called, um, it was called Waiting. It was about waiting tables. Is that the one, the one he directed? No. Oh, I knew there was one he directed that he wrote. He did. He did. Yeah. It, that was because our friend that Mark Mark, Mark Samuel was in it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Say Uncle was great. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, we never we never made that movie. But the first pilot I ever sold and made for ABC was called Introducing Lenny Rose, okay. and it was sort of it was the same. The, the movie that Peter and I wrote was. Uh, was an adaptation of the pilot that I had written in that screenwriting class okay. at the New School, mm-hmm. and then the and then I ended up sort of pitching the same world: actors okay. and artists in New York. And mm-hmm. I got to make that pilot. It didn't go to series, but I got you know somebody yeah. gave me seven million dollars to go to New York <laughs> and shoot it. Okay. Whoa, 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 whoa! Where my ten percent at? Go. You see what I'm talking <laughs> about? Me seven million dollars. <laughs> yeah. They gave it to me to pay to other people. Uh, <laughs> uh, a piece of material that you had from years ago. Yeah. That looked like it might not go anywhere. Mm-hmm. You were able to Bring reintroduce it, it to some people, adapt and That's adapt fun. again. Mm-hmm. I was able to. I I was like a dog on a bone with that story. Mm-hmm. I wanted to tell it, and then I got to tell it. And and here's very full circle. Just last week at the ATX Festival mm-hmm. in Austin, oh yeah, I got to screen that pilot. You did. Abigail Spencer from Rectify starred in that pilot, oh. and we got to screen it at the festival in the sort of pilots that didn't go. That's and so we got trip. to sit in the theater and watch this thing we made 13 years ago. <laughs> wow. We sat there crying, the two of us, mm. just because it was like it was like revisiting our childhoods, mm. and it, it's like my boyfriend right. said it was like running into an old lover where really? something was unresolved. Yes. Was what could have been? It was, it, you know, Abby was so good in it. She's so wow. talented. It was so beautiful. Mm. We were so earnest. We were so young. It was, it was really. But yes, to your point, mm. yes, I, I don't ever give up on stories that sit in. My no, I love that because I'm always encouraging people. <clears throat> like I'm one of those people that I don't believe in writer's block personally. Mm-hmm. And and here's why. And I want you know you hear me talk about this all the time. Mm. I'm always like it's like this. If you can't write today, then you can read. If you can't read, then you can listen. We have podcasts. If you can't listen, then you can watch. Right? So you have all these different things you could do. Yes. So if I can't write, I'm usually reading, listening, watching or doing something that stimulates my brain cells. Yes. Right? And Amen. I said if you have a script you wrote six years ago, we all do, who've been writing for over 10 years. We have that script we wrote t- six years ago that never sold, right? Pull it out. I guarantee you the new you, because you learn something every day as a writer, That's right. will take that script and go, oh, what if it's from the female point of view? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, what if it's from that yes. point of view, right? Yes. 
What if it's now an action movie? What if it's now a horror movie? Whatever it is, right? That's why I'm saying you you should never have a day when you're not still moving forward with something. Right. That's right. You know what I mean? So anyway, I don't mean to, I just wanted to piggyback no, off of that. No, I love that. That's exactly yeah. right. I, too, don't believe in writer's block, but your reason is better than mine. Well, of like course for, it is. So I was going to say, you know, for so many years I did, I would be like, oh, there's no such thing as writer's block. And then I realized that that may be true for me, that I that I have a lot of tricks that I use when mm-hmm. I don't feel like writing. Mm-hmm. But then I've really learned Can you tell I us age, what those are? Or? I will. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, let me tell you. I'll finish this point, and then I'll okay, tell you good, that. Good. Um, I really have learned to understand, which was hard for me. It's hard. Um, you know, I feel like we all grow up thinking sort of that we think and feel much the way everybody thinks and feels. And I have figured out painfully mm-hmm. that that's not true and that everybody has mm-hmm. a series of strengths and limitations and a thought process and a wiring for their brain. Mm-hmm. And it's utterly different than mine. And that writer's block is a very real thing mm-hmm. for some people. Mm-hmm. So I really like your reason why writer's block doesn't exist because it doesn't deny that some people have the experience of sitting down and facing terror sure. or or silence or whatever right. are the ex- whatever mm-hmm. is the experience of writer's block but it gives them permission to have that experience and then go feed their creative beast in another way mm-hmm. and i will say that that i i don't experience writer's block per se but right like writers all dried up like <laughs> <laughs> like the sponge is cracked yes. and dry and been yes. sitting in the sun and mm-hmm. we used to shanta and i used to talk about like it's like we'd write and 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 then we'd go on hiatus and we would lie on a beach and read mm-hmm. six mm-hmm. books and every mm-hmm. night watch a different movie this is before I had a kid <laughs> you, know, you just read and you watch and then you come back and it's like the well is it's like that sponge right. Right. got dropped into a bucket right. of water Fresh. And got something to give again can I, can I ask you a question yeah. do you have and same for you Tracy do you have a, a script in particular since we're talking about screenplays and TV is there a script that you can pick up, an old one, a new one, whatever, that, that you read and then go, and, and like you could read five or ten pages and be like, ah, uh, now I can write again. Did you have anything like that? Like a piece of something that yeah, or, inspires Or something me? that inspires you? Um, I don't think I have a thing that I can pick up and read. Yes, no, I do. I'll okay. tell you what I read for inspiration mm-hmm. is Anne Lamott. All right. Uh, really, like Traveling Mercies, like mm-hmm. a- almost any essay from her early books, mm-hmm. Operating Instructions, Traveling Mercies. Um, and I don't even identify as a Christian. You know, she's a sure, spiritual sure, sure. sort of liberal Christian writer, but she writes so much about... She finds the connections in the seemingly disconnected, and she finds the beauty in the ugly, and she she just... Um, so yes, uh, if okay. I need some ins, what I usually need is a little dose of inspiration and faith. Okay, that, that's what exactly what I was tapping into yes. for you. Yes, yes, okay. I need some faith. So for me, you know, I might go to a twelve-step meeting or, <laughs> right. uh, or call a friend and talk about my idea of God, okay. which has nothing mm-hmm. to do with sort of the Judeo-Christian mm-hmm. notion of God, mm-hmm. but it's my own. Wow. And uh, and I might pray or I might take a walk. For me, God exists in usually in conversations with friends. Okay. If I'm stuck or broken, I almost always call Peter Page okay. and say, "Well, yeah. I would say I would say to Peter, take a walk, but he doesn't like to take a walk. Right. <laughs> he doesn't like to. Okay, you can find him at the gym, though. Like. I can find him at the gym, but I, I check. We talk on the phone about whatever, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I I find he, I find spirituality and connectedness through humanity and I have an extraordinary circle of friends who okay. I hold that's very close and that's how I usually get unstuck. It's mm-hmm. usually through conversation with another human being. So if I can't reach a friend or if that's not working, mm-hmm. 
even the act of um, texting like one of the writers in the mm. writer's room at Shameless and just either saying out loud or writing right. down the, the interaction, problem, the, yeah, interaction yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the reaching, the brains reaching for an answer outside of me mm. is often the thing that triggers right. the mm-hmm. answer, just the asking of the right. question. Right. Um, but to talk about sort of what I actually do physically when mm-hmm. I can't write, it's a it's a it's a automatic writing technique that I learned in in the very first writing class I ever took was when I was on the staff at the Omega Institute in Rebecca, <laughs> New York, which is an institute for holistic studies. And I was on the staff, and you got to take classes for free. Okay. And a teacher whose name I no longer remember because I'm so old <laughs> gave us this book called "Writing Down the Bones" by Natalie Goldberg. Huh. And there are that. Go by that book. Um, but in that book, there's an exercise. It's an automatic writing exercise. And it says basically like, um, open a book and point at a word and start on that word and set the timer for 10 minutes and free form write. Hmm. Just write for 10 minutes. You don't get to stop the pen. Mm-hmm. You don't get to stop and correct spelling or punctuation. You mm-hmm. don't get to go back and cross anything out. You have to keep your pen moving across the page for 10 minutes, no matter what comes. So there's that version. The version that I use that I find really terribly helpful is mm-hmm. is to have words that I can return to. Like, I remember or I forgot. So I I sit down and I put 10 minutes on the clock and I write, I remember. And whatever comes out, I write about that. And anytime you want to stop the pen, you go back to I remember. Because for me, without something to go back to, it gets a little Mm. nebulous. But if I'm saying, you know, I'm looking at this Reese's Peanut Butter Cup and it's Mm -hmm. like, I remember the first time I tried a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. I was on the beach. I was seven. I was living in Venice and my Mm -hmm. mom was in some kind of rage and I had run down the beach by myself. And I remember that the ocean was pouring onto mm-hmm. the sand and I remember and you just write and write and write and it stirs it's a peanut butter cup but suddenly you're in yes. like your really painful loneliness from and that childhood. was visual right. too <laughs> wasn't it yep. didn't you I saw every move you made right, right. Sure. and they See? saw me I closed my eyes and I did it like I was uh-huh. writing like like the pen is moving You, it's, it's a way it tricks the critic out of your brain mm-hmm. it tricks the desire to get it right okay. out of your brain it reminds you that that Writing is about flow and truth and mm-hmm. yeah. you, that you have stories to tell. Mm-hmm. And um, and when I teach this class, which I sometimes do, I go back to the Omega Institute okay. once a year and teach. And I give them a focal point, which is um, think about a time you were lost mm-hmm. or think about a time you were found. Mm. And then use the words I remember. Okay. And I mean, people, we just sit there and weep. Like what yes. comes to people is right. extraordinary. And there's, and the key is not stopping the pen. Mm-hmm. The right. key is not allowing the editor. It comes as cathartic. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Great tools that all the writers use. I'm sure. I'm sure. Oh, for me, if it's something specific that I'm working on in a script, like we talked about, Shane Black, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, and other podcasts. There may be a screenplay or a teleplay that I'll look at mm-hmm. if I'm working on something very specifically. But if it's about inspiration mm-hmm. and just trying to get recharged and back in, they're crime novels. Um, Elmore Leonard, mm-hmm. Richard Price in particular, um, George Pelicanos, all his books are set in D.C. Mm-hmm. Like those are the people who did it for me. Um, I started out as a novelist before I got into, uh, screenwriting and television. So certain, like those writers really make me remember why I wanted to do this and mm-hmm. what was cool about it and, mm-hmm. and their genius. 
Uh, even a Terry McMillan mm. at time, or mm-hmm. B.B. Moore Campbell, some of these great novels that came out in, in the 90s. But So there's certain writers I can refer Walter Mosley, I can refer to them. Mm-hmm. And Are just there passages be, you find that you look for? Or you could just open it up and just go? Well, they're so good, yeah. I just trust mm-hmm. the book, yeah. even now. Um, and this is not an endorsement. Uh, Richard Price's latest novel is called The Whites. It's a disgraced uh, New York detective. There was like this elite squad of detectives mm-hmm. 20 years ago or something. They've all kind of moved on. And they all have a case that haunted them. Hmm. Like the worst of the bad guys, one of them got away. And so they're all obsessed with their own bad guy who escaped. Mm-hmm. And all these bad guys get together to get back at these six cops who are former okay. partners. It's brilliant. Such a premise. It's insane. Yeah. But just thinking about it, like I'm excited to get back and finish it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you're um, Or Pelicanos, uh, people who wrote about places where I grew up, mm-hmm. New York or D.C. Mm-hmm. Um and that time, so that does it for me. Every time I read those books or go back to them, I'm ready to either get on to something new or dig up something I worked on You feel on like before. you read an Oscar or something, you know, after you read some of those things. And I yeah. think that's what I'm looking for when you're in your, I don't mean to take up your time, no. when, you, when you're in your moment of I can't write. Yes. You pull out that thing yeah. that makes you feel like you can again. You well, it makes mean? you want to try again. Try again, For sure. me, Jonathan Franzen. Oh, oh, right. like, when I sit one. down and yeah, read those books, I am a better writer it's for great. having read them. I am a better yeah. writer for having read them. Yeah. Mm. Right now, I'm, I am um, almost painfully obsessed with Hamilton oh. and the lyric, those lyrics Come on now. in terms of inspiration. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's brilliant. It How is, does it's, a bastard orphan, son yeah. of a whore and a Scotsman dropped in the middle of a forgotten spot in the Caribbean by Providence and Providence and Teller. Go up to be a hero and a scholar, girl. Y'all don't even know. You have, you have to give Y'all credit. slipping on this you musical. You have to give credit where you. credit is due. He's, he He's, he's that musical. The thing about that musical and and Lin Manuel Miranda as a as a public figure. I don't mm-hmm. know him. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't want to because I don't like to meet my heroes. Oh, you one of those? Wow. Yes, it's, I know what you're talking about. It's wow. just I am so moved I could cry because mm-hmm. it's not just his majesty, his genius with mm-hmm. the word. It's his generosity of spirit mm-hmm. as a figure, the way he brings in kids for free to watch that show, the mm-hmm. way he was a seventh grade teacher, the, that sonnet he wrote for the Tonys, yes. the, the fact that he wrote, this is what's blowing my mind this week because I, I just got it. I, I have a, an, I'm not an obsessive fan either. Mm-hmm. Like the last thing I was obsessive about mm-hmm. was Les Mis. <laughs> Seriously. And I was okay. so obsessive that um, I named my daughter Cosette. Her name really? is Cosette. <laughs> wow. Like, That's cute. That's other cute. than that, like it, the, uh-huh. the one before that was Anne Andrew McCarthy in high school. Like, I'm not historically an obsessive right. fan, but I'm so affected by Hamilton and Lin Manuel that you have I, got have to listen to, to this I have to, like, slowly give myself pieces. So I just got the mm-hmm. Hamilton. And the fact that I can open this thing, because sometimes I sit and I listen to it and I'm intimidated mm-hmm. as a writer. I'm like, what the actual fuck? Mm-hmm. How did he rhyme those right. words? Yes. You know, and it's really like it's crippled me. I write songs sometimes, too, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I can't even I can't even try to rhyme. <laughs> I can't even try. <laughs> but then he wrote this book that, that is the he's notated the lyrics and talked about 
who he was referencing. You know, this oh, is this yeah, is a I was going to order this. To, yeah, to yeah, this yeah. rap star. Or this is a reference to this classic musical mm-hmm. theater piece. Or very generous, yes. very generous. Yes. But with the thing that's most amazing to me about it, and has been a huge gift, is that he wrote things like it took me more than a year to write this verse. Yes. It took me more than a year to write this verse. This song took years. He wrote that thing for six or seven years. It took him that to, and long. And so now I look at that verse, which is actually the verse that and I lose my fucking mind. Flawless. I imagine death so much it feels more like a memory. How about just that sentence? Yeah, yeah. But then it goes on from there. You know, is it going to mm-hmm. get, when's it going to get me? Is it seven mm-hmm. feet a- ahead of me? Mm-hmm. I-, I could do it mm-hmm. if I went back. But it's, it's <laughs> like, you're like, what is happening? Like, how did he I'm write these away how my shot. Content, these, yes. How did he do this? Well, he did it because he worked on it for two fucking years. Mm-hmm. And as a writer, the breath yeah. that that brings in of like, oh my God, I never work on anything for two years. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I never do that. Uh, like, I right. You give yourself a little break. It's like, oh, the genius to which I aspire right. is, is not pretending that he called that in after a fever dream. Mm-hmm. He is telling the truth. Right. I worked on that for two years that the generosity the miracle the gift the inspiration that's Mm -hmm. everything I'm super grateful very very I love that so you get to LA (laughs) with your Portland crew Mm because I I know who listens to this podcast they're following so is there a transition as far as starting to write we got the agent at the small lit agency and the assistant so take us to what happens from there I actually think this is mostly aspiring writers, right? So I oh, wanted, no, we have showrunners listening to me. All time. right, okay. <laughs> well, let me take a minute and tell you about what bef- right before I got the agent sure. when I moved to L.A. <clears throat> when I moved to L.A., I had written uh, comedy specs. That's what I had been doing while I was in Portland. Uh-huh. I had written an episode of Friends. I had written an episode of Mad About uh-huh. You. I had written a Just Shoot Me. <laughs> I had written a couple nice. pilots. This is what I was doing. Okay. And I moved to L.A., and people read my scripts, and um, it was like the, this friend of a friend and that friend of a friend from the theater community in mm-hmm. Portland, and this person who sold one piece of writing, and this person who's ra- running this show. Like it was like I say, I didn't have contacts because I because I because I didn't have like pedigree, mm-hmm. but I but what I had was a theater community who mm-hmm. were incredibly g- generous with their willingness to call and say, "I I love Krista. Will you read her?" And theater people are are generous yeah. and willing to yeah. try to help other That's theater where I come people. From the theater. And yeah. so some people read me and what I got back three times and it's like, you know, I think it's William Goldman who says like if you get the note one time, maybe you mm-hmm. can ignore it, but once you've gotten it three times, mm-hmm. you, you have to pay attention. Mm-hmm. I got told not funny enough. Really? Yeah. Huh. And um that was extremely painful for mm-hmm. me. And uh, I had worked so hard. It had taken me like six months to write that friend's spec. Wow. And I felt like I knew those characters inside and out. And I felt like, what do you mean it's not funny enough? Three times. And what I finally understood, people kept saying, your character work is incredible, hmm. but you're not a half-hour writer. Mm-hmm. Try hour-long. And I didn't want to try hour-long because I was. <laughs> I only watched ER. And I was like, what am I going to? You know, I watched mm-hmm. ER and Law and & Order. And I was like, I'm going to write the mm-hmm. law. I'm going to write the medicine. Like, mm-hmm. there, there was barely an internet, you guys. It's like, mm-hmm. what was I going to look stuff like? Right, <laughs> right. And, uh, and so I was sort of devastated. But what I figured out later is that I wasn't willing to throw away what I thought to be true about the characters in hmm. order to plant a laugh out loud joke, three okay. a page, three okay. a page. Mm-hmm. Truth was more important to me. Mm-hmm. And so people would 
I'd look at these scripts and I'd be like, I don't think Phoebe would say that, but it mm. made me laugh really hard. But I mm-hmm. don't think she would say it, so I wouldn't have written mm. it. Got and it. sitcom writers care. They care. The thing that's the most important is the funny. The funny. That's what's most important. And I'm not that writer. Yeah. And so I got told to try hour long, which meant it felt like all this work was wasted. No work is mm-hmm. ever wasted, but it felt that way. Mm-hmm. And so I sat down and I, and Felicity had just premiered and I watched the first five episodes of Felicity Mm. and I thought, well, that I can write. I couldn't Mm. write Law and Order. I didn't think, ironically, it was my first assignment was Mm. Law and Order. Uh, but I, I could write Felicity. I understood that girl. That's, uh, you know, it was only a couple years older. And, and so I specced a Felicity in Mm. four days. Wow. See, we hear these stories all the time. And those are always the ones that get you, too. You're like, you just put the pedal to the metal. That is, it took me six months to write a speck of friends and four days to write a Felicity. Now, that won't be true for everybody. Mm -hmm. But for me, the clarity of, oh, this is my, they those people who I thought were so mean and hurtful and saying Mm. I'm not funny enough and saying try this other thing saved me because mm. also those half hour writers rooms they work late oh, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't need that i'm tired <laughs> uh so i wrote a felicity and then uh and then i, I turned it into this agent who this friend of a friend of a friend mm-hmm. and she said it's great we need one more and i said what should i write and she said the practice mm. now this was before tivo mm-hmm. so i went to the broadcast museum in beverly hills i'd never seen the practice i watched 12 episodes of the mm-hmm. practice and then i wrote a practice back in eight days Wow. So mm. it was very much like, oh, this is what I do. This is what I do. And then within almost a month of turning that around, I got, those agents got me a meeting with Renee Balsay at Law & Order, mm-hmm. who gave me my first freelance assignment. Wow. <laughs> what are those? <laughs> we don't have those anymore, too. Yes. <laughs> I know. Those don't really exist anymore, but wow. that was my entree. Mm-hmm. And that same season, I staffed on Time of Your Life, which oh, was a Kaiser yeah. Littman spinoff mm-hmm. of Party of Five, mm-hmm. Jennifer Love Hewitt and, and uh, Jennifer Garner mm-hmm. in New York. And, um, and, uh, from there I did, I went to Charmed for three years mm. and then I was told that I, I was, swear I run into so many writers who used to work on Charmed. Like do you ever, everybody comes through Charmed somehow. It's like that six degrees of separation you know, or something. had an eye for talent. Mm-hmm. A lot of show, uh, almost everybody I was on staff with there is now a showrunner. Yes. So, um, mm-hmm. and he was a great teacher. Mm-hmm. He is a great teacher. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, I did Charmed for three seasons, and then I was told that I was going to be pigeonholed as like a girl sci-fi writer, even though I had never really? written a single sci-fi thing or watched a single sci-fi thing before I got hired at Charmed. Brad mm. hired me off like my practice spec. Really? His thing was like, I don't need sci-fi writers. I need no. great writers. Mm-hmm. Right. And then there are these rules. Mm-hmm. And so I was like pigeonholed as a <laughs> as like a sci-fi girl. So I wrote uh, that that year my dad died and mm. I put that pain to mm, she went paper, personal. put a pencil mm-hmm. to my temple, mm-hmm. connected to my brain. And I wrote my mm-hmm. first brain, a testament to my pain. Mm-hmm. I wrote, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> I wrote a play. I wrote a play about okay. my dad's death mm. and that got me actually, ironically here, I was trying not to be pigeonholed in fantasy and sci-fi <laughs> and, I, and that play got me hired at Wonderfalls. Really? Wow. Yeah. Uh, and then, um, Wonder Falls was canceled after 13. Mm-hmm. Shonda was a Charmed fan. Huh. So Shonda read my play and loved Charmed. And so I went in to meet her. Um, I, here's a story though for other writers. Mm-hmm. I had a terrible time at Wonder Falls. I, huh. I couldn't write it. 
Okay. Um, you know, not every good writer can write every TV yeah, show. Totally. And that's the simple sure. truth. The art of television is about suspending your own voice largely and writing in the voice of the show. Sure. And I mm. couldn't. Brian Fuller is his own kind of genius, mm. and it is a different kind of genius than mine. If I have, you know, <laughs> I, speaking of genius, you're a genius girl. Speaking you're a of genius. genius in the terms of Liz Gilbert term, which is like, okay. it's, or in the old old Greek or Roman term, which is like the genius comes to visit you, mm-hmm. and it's like right. a little being in the corner who mm-hmm. sometimes shows up. Brian's. And mine, the Who Visit, they are not cousins. They are not related. He, his sense of humor, I said to him in my meeting when he interviewed me, mm-hmm. I said, this script is a kind of funny to which I aspire. And that, uh, I realized, is not your job in TV. That shouldn't be your job. I, yeah. I kept aspiring and I kept failing and I kept getting rewritten and I was miserable. Mm. And I said to my agent, I need to go write a show that my voice matches. I mm-hmm. can't do this again next year. It's mm-hmm. too painful. Mm-hmm. And I read... Sean, I read, Sur- it was called Surgeons. It was called like mm. the Untitled Surgeon Show. Mm. And I read it and I called my agent and I said, if I didn't know better, I would think I wrote this in a fever dream. Like it, huh. our voices, uh, it was like, oh God, this mm-hmm. I can do. And he said, you know, that pilot has no heat. It's Patrick Dempsey. He's a pilot killer. <laughs> I think we should be really focused right? on something wow. else. Patrick Dempsey couldn't get arrested. And I said, um, I would like to meet anyway. I need, I want to meet anyway. Mm-hmm. And so I met with Shonda and, and then, and then uh, we talked about American Idol for 45 minutes. Really? <laughs> we talked about Kelly Clarkson and LaToya. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, that was that year. That was that year. Yes. And, uh, and then we worked together for the next seven years. Wow. And that obviously was a career change. So was that the show you started really moving up? Yes. I okay. became the co-showrunner, I think, it, I think season two. You better go, girl. I think it girl. was season two. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, it might have been season three, but I think it was season two. And uh, and that's because my voice matched hers. Mm-hmm. And she could walk in and go, help. Mm-hmm. Do, and, and, and that is everything. Mm-hmm. To have a writer who can, who can, you know, when you're show running, it's, it's really um, unbelievably hard. And there are well, so many Well, let's talk about things. it. Let's talk about it. Since we got you here, let's yeah. talk about the writer's room and, the, and show running and yeah. things that you learned. Let's get into it. Tell okay. us. Okay. What do you want to know? Um, <laughs> like, like, what? Tell us, for instance, like, what? What are some of the things that I know you can't be specific, but like, what's a writer room? Writers room look like with Shonda. What's a writers room look like on Shameless, for instance? Um. Okay. It, it, uh, at Grey's Anatomy, I um, Jim Perriott was Shonda's co-showrunner, mm-hmm. season one, and uh, he. He, she was new to TV. She'd mm-hmm. written like introducing Dorothy Dandridge mm-hmm. and things that she'd written one other TV pilot. So in the beginning, what it looked like with Shonda and she's told that she's talked about this publicly <laughs> is that she would stand in the door and sort of shiver and <laughs> crazy and be like, why I'm supposed to go in there and talk to those people. Like she was a movie writer. She mm-hmm. was used to being alone with her pain mm-hmm. and here, and you know, so she would sort of linger in the doorway, just bewildered by the whole situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Jim set the sort of parameters that I that I've actually now I'm hearing that Shondaland is doing some things differently. But in the mm-hmm. beginning, for the first seven years, it was you know it's a forty hour a week room, mm-hmm. and it's collaborative. Uh, everybody sits around, and somebody has the pen. Whoever sort of episode it is holds the pen, and mm-hmm. you fill up the board with beats, and you mm-hmm. talk about everything. Mm-hmm. The showrunner comes in, and you pitch it down. You know, Shonda would come in, we'd pitch it down to her. She would tell us what she liked and what she didn't like, and give some suggestions of what she'd like in lieu of what she didn't like and then we would erase some beats and do it again and then you send the writer off to outline after anywhere between you know i don't know two and five days on the board with the Mm -hmm. story Mm -hmm. 
Um, so that's that's a very standard hour long mm-hmm. old school television. Sure. You know, you do forty to fifty. Well, Jim's hours. from that older. Jim is from that, yeah. and I had grown up, uh, but with Brad Kern teaching me that okay. same thing. So mm-hmm. when when Jim was gone and and it was it, me, it it was the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, now I understand that at Scandal, there's like group writing and they're they're doing <laughs> different things, but. Um, and Shonda is is very like she's very good at hiring very talented people and the best. <laughs> uh, de- delegating <laughs> yes. and defer. Uh, she's not super deferential, but but collaborating. She's okay. she really is, and that was the joy for me in those early years of Grey's Anatomy. Is as crazy as it sounds. Like Shonda and I would just shout shout at each other, <laughs> shout and shout, and you know act scenes out. And you know there were things she wanted to do that I thought were super crazy, and I would yell at her. And there were things that I would want to do that she was like that's great and she would yell at me and then i feel like if if you took if one of us was red and one of us was yellow Mm. those early years of the show it was orange you know we we found this color that it lived you know shonda is very like her sensibilities are dark and dramatic she often Mm. wanted to kill people and and i come from such a dark Mm. and dramatic childhood honestly Mm -hmm. which i apply at shameless but Mm -hmm. i was like i want some butterflies and sunshine (laughs) i don't want to kill can we not kill that kid what if he grows up and lives happily ever after in this hour of tv (laughs) and then we would find the that the tension between Mm -hmm. those two things and Mm -hmm. um and it was tremendous creatively. Mm-hmm. And I, I got to do a huge amount of writing in those early years. Mm-hmm. And that was tremendous for me as, like, in terms of, like, you see, like, you talk about Peter's at the gym. I don't mm-hmm. go to the gym, which is mm-hmm. why I won't let you take pictures of me today. <laughs> but <laughs> but I, when I started at Grey's Anatomy, I could write somewhere between seven and nine pages in a day. And mm-hmm. that was a lot. That I, yeah, I yeah. worked That's up to that. And... um and uh, by the time I left Grey's Anatomy, I remember that my record, my personal record was 39 pages in a day. Wow. That's what you sometimes have to do when you're doing 22 you're, episodes yeah, of Yeah, you write on TV, you got to have some speed. Jack. You are chasing some <laughs> yeah. shit. You yeah. are, they are waiting on those mm-hmm. pages and you need to write that shit. Yeah. <laughs> and Shonda is not afraid to come in and say, you guys, I woke up in the middle of the night and I realized oh, that no. <laughs> those two characters can't do that thing upon which the next six episodes turn. Uh, and it's like, right. and, and I love that. I, I, it makes it really super hard. Mm-hmm. And yet I'd so prefer that than I've worked with people who are like, oh, it's going to be too much work. Even though you're yeah. going, no, it's wrong. It's wrong. It's yeah. wrong. Eh, we're not going to pull that thread. Mm-hmm. Shonda will pull that thread and then it we shows. all will get together and, and try to knit a new rug. And, mm-hmm. and so that was the experience there. Okay. Um, so what was it like leaving the show for you? Was it, oh, it, it was very painful. Mm-hmm. I'd been there for seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I wrote a pilot that got mm-hmm. made grace, mm-hmm. uh, which was about dancers and I, and, uh, and I loved it. And I made it and I thought it was going to go to series uh, and I trained my replacements at Grey's Anatomy who I adore, my, my dear friends, Joan Rader mm-hmm. and Tony Phelan, who now have doubt at CBS. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and, uh, and I, you know, we had a cupcake party and we exchanged <laughs> a lot of heartfelt emails, but you know, Shonda made us t-shirts, um, oh, week good. one of Grey's Anatomy. That was like her motto for the show, which said no hugging, no crying, no secret pain. Really? <laughs> that was the motto. That was the diff. That's what made Grey's Anatomy oh, different in the beginning yeah. uh, from other medical shows is no hugging, no crying, no secret pain. Like every, everybody that. is a little bit mm-hmm. edgy and a little bit caustic and a little bit broken and, um, and so there, there was not a lot of hugging, crying, or secret pain when I left Grey's Anatomy. But there were emails later, like weeks okay. later, when I could, when we could all. It was hard. It's like leaving mm-hmm. your. Fa- it's like graduating from college. Sure. It's like these are your people, and you mm-hmm. want to stay. But it, but for you, it's it's over. Even though you, all your best friends maybe are in the classes behind you, and you want to stay, but mm-hmm. it would hold you back to stay. So you go mm-hmm. and you grieve. And uh, so were, were you were you stuck like after the pilot didn't get picked up? Were you were you like, well, should I go back or like what was going on after the pilot didn't get picked up? Shonda uh, had um, <laughs> Shonda had wanted me for many years to go to Grayson uh, to go to private practice. Oh, she, really? she you'll see that I wrote some episodes of private mm-hmm. while I was on Grayson mm-hmm. because I because because she we loved each other and I got her voice and she mm-hmm. wanted me to go do that on that other show and I kept saying no cuz I I really preferred Grays and I have a problem with mothers and babies who are <laughs> sick and dying and there was too much of that on private practice and so uh after Grace didn't go I went I I, I had gone you guys this is like a story of counting your chickens before they hatch. Mm-hmm. Everyone was so high on it that I flew myself to New York. Like I was like, we're going to those upfronts. And so my daughter and I went to Omega that week. I was teaching writing and I was waiting for the call. I had my clothes for New York for the upfronts and I got wow. the wrong like, we call. Get it. Oh, so I called my friend Annie, who's, who's Coco's, um, who, who, who at the time was like our housemate and, 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 best friend and babysitter Mm -hmm. and she flew and took picked up coco and flew her home and i went to the airport with them and got on a plane to rome i was like like, i'm taking a vacation (laughs) fucking broken i have too many miles that i have Mm -hmm. saved up for all the years i've been running the show (laughs) i am tired and i have money and i'm going somewhere and i went to rome where am i 10 percent (laughs) (laughs) now i don't uh but i went to rome that's where i what i did and i ate a lot Mm -hmm. and um it was a super painful time because i also went with an ex-boyfriend like i'd broken up with somebody but i was like meet me (laughs) 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 let's go to rome and i have a lot of sex and eat a lot of pizza but Mm -hmm. what i was really but i was like like something out of eat, pray, love. Right. Like he was not in love with me anymore. Mm. And so I was like crying, like literally on the floor, grieving the relationship, the end of Grey's Anatomy and the pilot. No joke. Wow. Biting a towel, sobbing, sobbing, sobbing while he slept in the hotel room bed, like wow. on the floor of the bathroom. It was a really all is lost moment. <laughs> it was very all is lost. It's crazy. And while I was there, I got an email from my agent saying, Shonda wants to know if you want to come to private practice. And I didn't, I didn't want to come to private practice. I just wanted to keep crying. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was familiar. Shonda as a boss Mm -hmm. was familiar. Mm -hmm. And, and I said, so I said, I would, I will do it for this much money. And if I can do it from home, because I wanted to be with my kid and Mm -hmm. and the years of Grey's and I were really hard to be a mom. The hours were really long and I wanted to be with Coco. Mm -hmm. And so Shonda said yes. And that was for the next two years, I got to collect a salary and work from home and note, I would note outlines and note scripts and rewrite them from home. Amazing. It was really a tremendous 
but the relationship, obviously, with you and Shonda, mm-hmm. the history was there. So it was yeah, the history's there. She surprise. knew she could rely on me, and and just they didn't even use me that much in those years. But I think for Shonda, knowing that that there was someone who she could call, who Shonda, Shonda and I, then. for some reason, it's it's like. We could just finish each other's sentences from the beginning, even though we were mm. super different. We had a shorthand mm-hmm. very quickly. And mm-hmm. so for just for Shonda to know that there was a, a writer who she could send a script to and go, fix this, please. And mm. that I was honest. Mm-hmm. It, it worked out beautifully because I had a lot of grieving to do. Just per, I, My marriage had sure, ended sure, sure. the year before. I, w- I had a wow. lot of grieving to do. Yeah. And um, thank you for being so honest, man. I appreciate it. That is real. This is yeah, real shit, well, for you sure. said we were keeping it yeah, real. Was real I, shit. I, I needed it. to cry a lot. Yeah. I need. It's like I had. I, I needed to cry a lot. Yeah. And so I, I worked from home, and I wrote for Shonda, and I uh, developed some pilots, and I took my kid to school, and mm. it was it was it was great. And then and then after a couple of years, uh, I actually think that was I stayed with Private those two years, and then it was done. Mm-hmm. Private was done, and I was on Shameless. And so now, how did that one come to you? Uh, well, so now by this point in, in a career, even <laughs> by this year, your phone rings and they go, they're hiring at Shameless. I still had to interview for the job, mm. but it's less of a, where's my next job sure. going to come from? And more of a, what am I, what am I willing to, you, you know, you've saved a little bit of money and it's mm-hmm. like, what am I going to sell mm-hmm. my time for? It's like, right. if, I, if I could be with my kid right now at this age what am i gonna what how many hours of my life am i gonna sell mm-hmm. uh, you know what i mean it, yeah it's, hours it's, for dollars yeah, is very real. real and so um and so I, they called about shameless and like i said i was like no i'm not i'm not staffing like i'm super happy i had taken up the guitar <laughs> really? i was sitting it yeah, i was like working on my calluses and you know writing for, <laughs> from home for shonda and uh and they and this call came and my agent who's known me for all of my career mm-hmm. said um uh, said, watch it. Just watch the show. And I had the flu that weekend, and so mm. I watched no joke, like twenty mm-hmm. episodes of Shameless I over the weekend. That show. Whenever yeah. I get backed up, we just watch yeah. it. Yeah. And I called my agent on Monday, and I was like, okay, I'll take the meeting. <laughs> so I went in to meet John, and um, and in that meeting, he told me that he kept a nine-hour-a-week writers room. What? He keeps a nine-hour-a-week writers room what? on Shameless. And I was like, I'll take it. Like, they offered me a job. I was like, Okay, okay. You got to tell them. How does that work? So that is, you don't end up as a writer working fewer hours. You just work more of them on your own and from home, which for me, which for many writers who are in TV, Mm -hmm. they wouldn't want to be on that. They Mm -hmm. they want the writer's room. Mm -hmm. But... But I, with, you know, my priority being my kid, and now I was a single mom, and you know what I mean? Like, uh, right. it, it was like, oh, I only have to go to the office nine hours a week. And writers aren't on set. Oh, they're not. Whereas in Shondaland, you're on the set, yeah. producing your episode. John doesn't have the writers on set. Yeah. So it's literally, it's nine hours. <laughs> like, I'm so lucky, you guys. Man. I'm I'm so lucky. I'm so blessed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I got to go. I joined that staff season three, and now we're in season seven. Right. Mm-hmm. I, one of the years I didn't go because I was making two pilots. Right. But um, uh, but the way that works is that we have general conversations right. about the show, 
and we and John fills up sort of your boy. It's like you've got episode seven hundred one, seven hundred two, seven hundred three, and mm-hmm. you've got a sentence or two for Lip and a sentence or two for Fiona. Like uh-huh. one year, my story for Lip said Lip does manual labor. That's what it said <laughs> on the board. And we teased, we joke about this all the time. Mm-hmm. I went home and I was like, Lip does manual labor. But but there had been half an hour of discussion on that story in the room that the writer's assistant had written down diligently, and so she sends you all the notes. And really, what's happened there is John has told his stories from the summers that he did manual labor. Uh, those are great episodes. Mm-hmm. Right? And so you're looking at, and, but you go away more like a playwright and you break a story uh-huh. by yourself. Okay. That's how it works. So you're, like I said, you're not working fewer right. hours. And not easy breaking a story by yeah. yourself. It is not easy breaking a story by yourself. And what ends up happening is that you write an outline and that, the way that we would fill the board and we'd have been in the room talking about it for a week and the mm-hmm. beats would be laid out and we would pitch it to Shonda that first outline is mm-hmm. like the first board pitch. Okay. So you end mm-hmm. up writing several outlines. Okay. You end up writing a lot more mm-hmm. in Shameless. But you end up with a huge, uh, much more autonomy. You're like, you feel like that story, I gave birth to that mm-hmm. story. Whereas in a more collaborative writer's room, um, it, it feels more like everybody did that story. Mm-hmm. So there's pros and there's cons to, mm-hmm. to both ways. Mm-hmm. Um, also at Shameless, uh, we all n- read and note every outline and script. In, oh, so really? even when John writes an outline or script, he puts his own stuff through the same mm-hmm. process, which is there's six writers at the table and everybody has read and noted yeah. everything. That makes sense. Now, most shows, when you're in the writer's room 40 hours a week or 50 hours a week, you don't have the hours to read and note every script and outline that right. comes sure, in. Sure, sure. So usually, it was my job, for example, at Grey's Anatomy, I would only be in the room maybe 10 hours a week. I would sort of keep, I'd come in, I'd direct it, I'd, I'd pitch a thing, and then I'd go, because I was reading and noting every script and outline mm-hmm. in order to get it ready for Shonda. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's, so it's a different, it's collaborative in a mm-hmm. different way. And mm-hmm. you end up with everybody's sort of notes and thoughts after you've put a whole bunch of stuff on paper. Mm-hmm. And John sort of sits there and goes, you know, I thought on page seven you should do X. And, and you might go, oh, really? I had a note there too, and it's Y. And then you'll say, no, I think it should be Z. And John will go, mm. no, he's right. It's Y. You know what I mean? And, mm. and so he'll, he's happy for someone to beat his note. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. you know what I mean? And, and, or sometimes he'll be like, no, do it my way. Very yeah. <laughs> It's so it's a really it's totally different and both are totally collaborative and for most of my career I would say that I would have preferred the Shondaland way Mm -hmm. uh, for lack of a better term the the sort of old school (laughs) way because I like to talk to people clearly I haven't shut up since I (laughs) you're doing great I like to talk and I like to I like to talk Uh, Mm -hmm. I like to listen Mm -hmm. and it's harder to sit home alone and write it like it's a play John hires a lot of playwrights. There's mm-hmm. a lot of playwrights on that staff. Sheila, mm-hmm. Sheila Callahan, Dominique mm-hmm. Morso. It's, it, uh, well, yeah, I think, and it, and it shows. I mean, the the writing, with yeah. the acting. I mean, the yeah. I mean, the, the writing is just so clean and so real in the way that you hear that. Oh, it's got to just just write real. Like no motherfucker. Well, there's an art to this. Shit. Yeah. I think <laughs> it's a it's a simple thing. We were talking about our excitement for Shamless mm-hmm. earlier, and it does remind me. You mentioned the Party of Five spinoff. Party of Five back in the day, mm-hmm. um, similar. Well, you know, it's like multiple siblings. You know, no real parents. Mm-hmm. But it's like being, it's not just the only similar. I like that show too. Before I knew anything about actual writing, 
I was like, these people have problems. <laughs> like, they have real yes. issues. I think it's that simple yes. in many respects. Like, <laughs> and Shameless is brilliant because the episode opens, mm-hmm. you know, it's always morning, you know, it's getting ready for the day. Mm-hmm. And you know there's going to be some crazy shit she has to deal oh, yeah. with. And it's always stylized the way they do it. Too. Before, like, before you know, mm-hmm. nightfall. So it's remarkable in that. And you noted like the realness, the dimension, mm-hmm. the the depths of those issues, like Deb's issues in school. Like we all know what it's like to be bullied or not fitting in. We know we mm-hmm. know that person. We've mm-hmm. seen that, but so much of it is so well done mm-hmm. that uh, you just kind of have to give it up. So I thought about Party of Five. It's <laughs> funny that you mentioned uh, the spinoff because they had issues too. They had issues and the primary difference is that for, for whatever reason they had issues without humor. Like yeah. that yes. was, Party of Five was mm-hmm. very, very earnest. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, my experience of life anyway is that the darker it gets, the funnier it gets. For sure. And that is why I love writing Shameless is I get to bring that. You know, At the heart of Shameless to me, and I talk about this a lot, me and my husband will be watching an episode or something and we'll be binging like two or three of them in a row and I'll say something like, you know what's funny? They never miss the theme. They always come back to me, like Lip and, and, and the, why am I going blank on the redheaded brother? Ian. And Ian can get into a fist fight. Mm-hmm. And at the end... If somebody else came in, they both would jump on them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. It never gets away from the theme of family, right. period. Right. It always comes back to, we may appear to hate each other, but I will freaking cross the moon for my brothers and sisters. Right. You know what I mean? It's yeah. always there. Every yeah. week. Every week. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's smart. It's smart. It's smart. It's fucking right. Are you looking forward to anything that you've developed now? Do you have a favorite child in that group or is there anything that happened with grace that informs you doing things differently now or do you just so i've made five pilots i've been blessed to get to make five pilots i've written seven or eight and i've gotten five of those great odds yes and I've been uh, waiting for the one that will go to series, mm-hmm. but in a, but the blessing of getting to make five while there's high highs and low lows and it's painful, like mm-hmm. it's like when it doesn't go, it, it breaks your heart. Mm. But I feel like I've had unpaid grad school in mm. in terms of because the show running and producing a pilot is a different beast than mm-hmm. okay. anything else that mm-hmm. you do. Anything else that you do, except the, it's like. Maybe if you are writing and directing and producing an independent film in a ridiculously short period of time mm-hmm. because you have a really low mm-hmm. budget, that's the only thing I can equate uh, what happens in the pilot making process. Okay. Um, and so I've gotten to do it five times. So so there was Lenny Rose, there was Grace, and then I made something called Rita for for Bravo. I made Songbird for E, and and a couple years ago I made Studio City for Fox. Mm. And uh, I feel like. I I have a graduate degree now. <laughs> what works and what doesn't, and why and how, and it's been mm-hmm. it's been extraordinary, and uh, and so yeah, I've got a couple of things in development that I that I love deeply. Mm-hmm. I I uh, and then I have hopes for, although I try mm-hmm. not to let my hopes get too 
too high. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm an optimist by nature, but but that's all. It's a long way to fall when you're yeah. like that is going. Yeah. Now I try to be in the, the <laughs> in the blessing of getting to do it. Yeah. yeah. You get to be like putting on a play. Like mm-hmm. when you make when you make a play, it's not going to go for five. I mean, Hamilton's going to go forever. But <laughs> usually better. you're going to do it for eight weeks. <laughs> yeah. and mm-hmm. So and so being in it and getting to make the play and getting to be with other artists. That's the gift. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so often in Hollywood, we lose sight of the gift of the present because it's about what's it going to become or what's it going to earn or how many yeah. seasons is going to go. And I mean, I've gotten to work with unbelievable talent. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, um, and so I've got a project called Best of Both Worlds, which is based on a Paul Abbott miniseries from 10 years ago. Paul mm-hmm. Abbott created Shameless in England. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's a miniseries about a, a woman who's a flight attendant who travels between two different cities. In my version, she travels between Los Angeles and Paris. Hmm. And uh, she That's has not a, bad. a husband. Exactly. My boyfriend's French, I, you guys. I think I she, I think she made... Here we go. Uh-huh. Very convenient there, Krista. Casually, I love Paris. Um, she lives in Los Angeles with, with her husband and her two kids, who she's, she's been married to her husband for 20 years. She has a very real, grounded life here with in-laws and mm-hmm. kids. And she gets on the plane and she goes to Paris, where you where you realize she has another husband. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, yeah, nice. uh, I'm Freaky interested in getting there, to tell stories, <laughs> uh, letting women be as complex as men have historically yes. been allowed to be in television. Nice. Um, I uh, That's my calling that's my mm-hmm. that's what i want to do and so i i love best of both worlds and i have i have other things that are are more in fledgling stages right now so i, I won't tell you what they're about but, right. yeah shared a lot yes i'll totally watch best of both worlds yeah right it's a little um up in the air with george oh. clooney yeah vera oh, yeah, from yeah, that little Brought, I came to mind for me. Yeah, for she, was, she had a husband and he didn't know it, right? right. She was having an affair. When he showed up at her door. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. I hope you get some of that. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your... It's, it's, well, for me, just, I love the affair. I mean, just a, as oh, a yes. fan. It's Fantastic. slow. Ugh. But it's not slow. Everybody keeps saying it's slow. I'm it like, pays no, it's off. I, I, I think you know, I don't there, think there are is. people I work with who are like, it's melodramatic. And I'm like, excuse me, but affairs and <laughs> yes. divorces are fucking uh, melodramatic. Yes. And don't tell me otherwise. Yes. It's it. I, I think it's so powerful what mm-hmm. they're, what they do, what they're doing. And, um, and so, uh, that the, I was pitching actually best of both worlds before the affair came on. And then I was watching the affair and it was like, I actually had to shape mine away from the affair. Oh. So I had written actually talk about writing and rewriting and rewriting mm-hmm. and rewriting. I had met with a major movie star trying to attach her <laughs> to the pitch. Mm-hmm. She wanted to see a script and my people were like, Krista Burnoff doesn't spec scripts. And I was like, guess what? I, I could. I'm going to go to a hotel for four days and write it for yeah. this major talent yeah. because you can. What? What? <laughs> what? Who doesn't do what? I have no patience for mm-hmm. people who are like, I'm offer only. I'm not going to audition mm-hmm. for that. What? You're an artist. You mm-hmm. are highly paid and you are getting to work with the people of your dreams. Mm-hmm. Sit the fuck down and do some work for free because mm-hmm. we get to participate. Yeah. So I went and I wrote it. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is what I think it is. Mm-hmm. And in the pilot, she was, um, it was it was a more of an origins story. Mm-hmm. It was the I was trying to show how a woman makes the decision to embark on an affair that leads to a second marriage, and I was doing it all sort of in an hour. So there mm-hmm. were flashbacks, and her sister had died, and she was in shock, and I was doing all of these things. 
Well, then that major movie star moved on to something Mm -hmm. else and didn't attach. And then we sold the pitch at HBO. (laughs) And then in, and in the meantime, the affair had premiered Mm -hmm. and now I had to completely reboot it because I didn't want it to look like the affair. Right, right. So I, so, and so I revealed in, you know, on page 10 that she was married, which actually makes it way edgier and more HBO Mm -hmm. where you're like, you're not Mm -hmm. seeing how it happened. Right. You're, you're in it and you're like, what the fuck? Like she's got two sets of wedding rings. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's, but the willingness, I think it's super important for on, for success and for ongoing success to, to be willing to, to be willing always mm-hmm. to, to, to reinvent and to not get too defeated when, when something you put a lot of time and energy into, like, I remember one, the, the, I, I spec'd a movie that I called starstruck in the there <laughs> before I was working as a TV writer. Mm-hmm. And the day that I finished it, the day that I finished it and had my actor friends over to my living room to read it to me, it was about, it was about a, a movie star, uh, the biggest movie star in the world. And he fell in love with a British small town woman <laughs> who didn't know who he was. Hmm. And the day I finished it, the first ad for Notting Hill played. Yes. Wow. And I called yes. my boyfriend hyperventilating. <laughs> he, hyperventilating so much that he thought something had happened to one of the kids I was babysitting. Really? Like, uh, because I had spent two years writing it. Mm-hmm. And it was so close to Notting Hill, it was shocking. Wow. <laughs> That happens to all of us. All it happens of us. to everybody. All of us. And you cannot be like, I'm going to sue. You can't be like, it's nope. the zeitgeist. It's in the air, It Jack. is what it is. Yep. And you go, okay. And you put it away and you write something else. else. And, or you reinvent. Yeah. You Take know? it from another point of view. You, you have to. We're so privileged to be free and artists mm-hmm. and uh, in and in this city mm-hmm. and i would say to any artists any writers who are listening to this and don't live in this city but they want to be in tv mm-hmm. or movies move here yeah you have to move here if you want to be a politics Plan, you, have to live, you know what i mean mm-hmm. like like don't not move to la if you mm-hmm. want to be in tv and movies is it possible yes are you radically limiting your opportunities mm-hmm. yes are you listening to somebody who's yeah. telling you not to chase your dreams or that it's too risky mm-hmm. fuck them everything is too risky <laughs> fuck that noise talk about it uh-huh. move to Los and Angeles you gotta be honest with yourself yeah. you can't you know there's Tell a price to pay chase your about. dreams god damn it what is this life for yeah. pack a fucking bag put it in a car I slept in my car when I moved to Portland I was sleeping yeah. in my car with yeah. my boyfriend how bad do you want like, it how right? bad do you want it mm-hmm. and if you don't want it that bad grade go have a different career if there's something else you could be happy doing do that Mm -hmm. if you are not comfortable with high highs and low lows if Mm -hmm. you're allergic don't don't have a career in this business or become an executive Mm -hmm. but if it's what you want and what you think about and what you dream about keep writing and fucking move to los angeles Mm -hmm. (laughs) and Mm -hmm. do it that's it it's the number one email that i get from listeners and we are all over the world in over 80 something countries how do I move there? Should I move? I mean, should you move here? Damn it! Yes, you need to get here. If this, especially if you want to do TV, you know. It's that uh, maybe it's because I grew up on welfare and living mm-hmm. in a. My mom kept a lease on a, a house in Venice Beach that had um, uh, four bedrooms, and she rented out or it had five, but she rented out four of the bedrooms to other artists. So we didn't mm-hmm. pay any rent. Like mm-hmm. there was a That's huge smart. amount of resourcefulness, mm-hmm. but I didn't come from anything Mm -hmm. and so i and so i was willing to sleep in my car or sleep on somebody's sofa or sleep in a hostel like it wasn't like somehow beneath me and i didn't have any expectation of 
safety or security. Entitlement. I didn't have mm -hmm. any entitlement. I, and I also didn't need, like I remember somebody said to me something about a starter car or a starter house. And I grew up, I was raised by hippies. I didn't, I hadn't even heard those <laughs> terms. Like I wasn't, God, thank God, mm -hmm, I wasn't right. raised by people who, for whom stability was uh, the primary goal. Mm -hmm. And so you won't have a lot of stability in your early years uh, of aspiring screenwriting. Yeah, sure. Let go of the need mm -hmm. if you want to do this. Let go of the, that need because the rewards are so tremendous mm -hmm. um, when you push past the need for ease or stability or an expected path. And the joy of getting to just be in a city that's all artists who, who all want yeah. to be artists is I mean you're also with like the prettiest girl from every high school in the world so you have to just put <laughs> on dude. blinders right. yes but mm -hmm. um, yeah just just like just like why don't why wouldn't you chase your dreams mm -hmm. why wouldn't you mm. yeah on that note absolutely thank you very much Krista thank you so that much that was awesome thank you this was awesome. fun I had a ball yeah you <laughs> shared so a fun. lot this this is gonna be a jewel it's gonna be a great it's coming out tomorrow girl awesome yeah. <laughs> I'm this out. I think I'm not it's jumping out tomorrow for sure Krista Vernoff is it Vernoff yeah Vernoff okay. Krista Vernoff yeah um, so Krista can people follow you on Twitter they can <laughs> at their own risk they can follow me at their own risk. I swear a lot. She be going in. <laughs> so let, let's tell the kids what we were talking about before we went on. I know you got to run. I am good. Um, so I was telling Krista that I, I, I had um, retweeted one of her tweets mm -hmm. the other day. Mm -hmm. And you were going in about, you know, if, don't follow me if you're doing this. And boom, like you just kind of made this. What I said is. Go ahead. Be I, I, I said something like. From here on out, That's if it. you're an asshole to me, you <laughs> will be blocked because I am fucking done defending my very long career of advocacy and activism. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. That is what I said. Like yes. I hit a wall with the baby. With the very, I, the, I there's a. There's something that's happened with this generation mm -hmm. that's coming up where mm -hmm. they think there should be like trigger warnings on classic literature. Mm. Uh, you know what I mean? Where mm. where it's and. And where I think this is maybe this is not fair. Like, I remember my mom said the same thing about my generation. Like, it's not fair. It's just that 18 and 19 and 20 year olds and 25 year olds think they know the way and it's the mm. only way. Yes. And it's usually a very idealistic way. And they want you to do the thing mm -hmm. you, the way that they want you to do it. Mm -hmm. And what happened for me on Twitter is that I was invited to sit on a panel that Glad. Uh, okay. through in at the ATX festival mm -hmm. about the Lexa pledge which is um, in response to the barrier gays trope there's yeah. uh, there's a problem with the number of gays and lesbians who are killed on television shows as compared to um, representation so basically like there's a statistic right. that is terrifying where it's like 10 it's like 2% of all representation is gay and bisexual women on TV mm -hmm. but 10% of deaths are gay and bisexual women really? and it's 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 con deeply concerning right. Orlando you know what I mean like it's mm -hmm. deeply concerning and television does have the ability to mm -hmm. shape minds and thoughts sure. and progress For or sure. lack of progress mm -hmm. um but for me, I, what I talked about on the panel was that I couldn't sign the Lexa Pledge, which you can go online and read, mm -hmm. because it is limiting, I feel, that the, that this group of passionate young people who wrote it, mm -hmm. um, and I think they also wrote it with TV writers and producers, so I don't know what age anybody is. Mm -hmm. they, they, they're passionate. God bless them. Sure. They wrote a pledge. It asks me to say that the first point it says, 
any LGBT character mm-hmm. that I create that has any meaning or significance to the show will have his or her own meaningful and significant arc. That's point one. Okay. And then it goes on from there to, to ask me to commit that I will never kill an AG, LGBT character oh, in service stupid. of a straight character's storyline. And that I will, ne- like, there's a lot of things. This is almost like the Bechdel test, but worse. Yeah. <laughs> it's, but, it's, but it's asking me to pledge, and I'm a gay man, so yeah. pledge <laughs> that I will always and yeah. never in my storytelling yeah. and in mm-hmm. my writing and, and what i said do that. is yeah. i i can't even commit to point one because what that point does for me mm-hmm. it, i and I, I talked about this on twitter before i hit the wall i tried to explain like if in the story of my life in the movie of my life which is where i always start even on mm-hmm. shameless truth. i start from my truth right mm-hmm. on Grey's Anatomy, i start from my truth and then i tell a story mm-hmm. so but if i were writing the movie of my life Peter Page would be a meaningful and significant mm-hmm. character. He mm-hmm. has been my best friend for mm-hmm. more years than I'll admit. Mm-hmm. Cause it and if you don't know him, Google him, bitch. Google him. He created the Fosters mm-hmm. and he was in the cast of Queer as Folk. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I know that the gay best friend is a brilliant is a actor. Okay. A brilliant actor, yes. brilliant director, brilliant mm-hmm. screenwriter. The gay best friend is a mm-hmm. trope. Yes. It's a trope. Yes. Okay, it's a trope. It's also a real thing it's a real thing (laughs) it's a real thing and in my life if i were writing the story of my life peter would be in every scene Mm -hmm. but he would not have a meaningful and significant arc of his own separate from me if i sign this pledge Mm -hmm. i can't write the gay best friend anymore it's censorship if i sign this pledge i can't have for example one of the things i've i'll often do in a show that's maybe about straight people or Mm -hmm. in a story is i'll make the doctor that you know somebody's diagnosing somebody with with breast cancer maybe Mm -hmm. she's gay Mm -hmm. maybe we see her leaving with her wife and kids maybe she's recurring and we let her be gay so that people in the middle of the country can go you know, gay people are heroes among us. They are mm-hmm. doctors who are helping to keep us alive. That's right. She does not have a meaningful and significant arc of her own. I can't sign the pledge. And don't, and, and, and what I was, so what I was saying is, yes, I will. Thank you for educating me about the trope. Sure. I will work even harder to not kill mm-hmm. these characters and to really ask if we're, at, if we're considering letting someone catch a stray bullet, does it need to be that person? Yeah, yeah. But for my whole career, I've been the person for way for ver- from from before I had any authority in television, mm-hmm. I've been the writer sitting in the room going, "Can the gay man not be the pedophile? <laughs> Can the gay man not be the murderer? Mm-hmm. He's the only one on mm-hmm. the twenty episodes. Can he not?" Mm-hmm. Like activating, I have been an advocate for the LGBTQ community mm-hmm. for my whole life. I come from the theater, mm-hmm. and there were listeners in the audience and there are the there are pe- there are these people on Twitter who were telling me saying over and over hammering me that I wasn't an advocate that hmm. I'm not an activist if I won't sign this pledge wow. that if that if I am saying that this pledge limits my their my creativity will fuck you get some better creativity wow. will fuck you you know the fact that you're thinking about it well that's a start I'm like a start bitch you're 18 <laughs> let me talk to you about what I was doing you're yeah. like I'm like out of my fucking mind uh-huh. and and I felt a little bit like like I I follow Anne Lamott I, I follow older women who were out of their minds when people were mm-hmm. saying that Hillary Clinton isn't a feminist, like Bernie people <laughs> right. saying Hillary Clinton isn't a feminist. And they were like, bitch, please. 
Please, like, do you know what we did for your generation? Right. Do you know how f- hard we fought? Do you know what a fucking scandal it was when she came to the White House with Rodham in her middle name? And they're out of their minds and they're blocked. These mm-hmm. very spiritual older women are right. blocking mm-hmm. people. In it. And that's how I felt. I felt like, oh, I understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because when you've spent your life fighting for something and a younger generation wants to come up and tell you that you did it wrong, you're doing it wrong, or you're not doing enough, mm-hmm. and really pigeonhole you without even looking at your work. Mm-hmm. It's infuriating. Mm-hmm. And, and they have then, no idea your relationship with Peter and et cetera. They don't, they don't know shit about me and mm-hmm. they're not looking at my work. Mm-hmm. And and it made and I, I tried so hard to be spiritual. I'm so spiritual and I'm so loving and I'm trying to be so <laughs> gentle. And then I was like, bitch, please. Yes, I yeah. have had enough. Tell no yes. more of my energy is uh-huh. going to this. I'm just going to keep being who I am. Mm-hmm. I'm an advocate. I'm an activist. I'm a human being. I'm a feminist. I put it all in my writing. Mm-hmm. And... What, and if you want to do it better than me, come to Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Come yeah. to Hollywood. And I don't mean that as a fuck you. I mean that yeah. as an invitation. Yeah. Come. Tell your own story. Bring it, bitch. Do it your way. Bring it. <laughs> yeah, Bring it. I'll read your script. Mm-hmm. If it's good, I will stack you. <laughs> Bring it. All right. Anyway. That's right. what's up. Good shit. I gotta give that one. Good I gotta shit. high five you on that one, girl. That's Thank what's you up. very much. <laughs> high fives across the podcast. <laughs> Chris Vernoff, y'all. That's very what's nice. up. So, on that note. <laughs> I go, can them bitches follow you on Twitter? <laughs> Those bitches can follow me on okay. Twitter. I love, I love, I love the kids. I love that. I love everybody who's passionate and advocates. I just think we have to be gentler and carefuler about how we ask for help. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like I get it. I get when people are angry. I get mm-hmm. it. I'm sure. a woman. I would like to see women stop being, you know, just the dead corpse that the mm-hmm. camera lingers on so we can tell a story about these men. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I there is more work to do. But I also it really want to acknowledge how far we've come. And I wish that the same people who are organizing assault campaigns mm-hmm. and letter writing campaigns asking for this trope mm-hmm. that needs to change to change – that sometimes we would also organize. I write letters when mm-hmm. women, when people write extraordinary women and ch- start changing the tropes around women. I write a thank you letter. You know what mm, I mean? Like, okay. and and when I get thank That's you letters, yeah. they uh-huh. mean so much more to me yeah. than than attacks. And mm-hmm. when people say, you know, I wrote a story, an episode of Grey's Anatomy about my father's death. I put it on George's character, oh, the yeah, death okay. of George's father, mm-hmm. very autobiographical. And I got hundreds and hundreds of letters of people saying, "Thank you so much." I couldn't feel my feelings till I watched your story or thank you for telling this story and that makes me realize how important my work is and how and how much voice I can give to people who are struggling to find their own and so when I get letters from from LGBT kids Mm -hmm. about you know Mickey and Ian that are like let me tell you what this story Mm -hmm. means to me and let me tell you what it meant to me and thank you for it and can we not leave him in prison? Yeah, that means huge. so much Dude. more to me. Than I can't tell you how assault. many times <laughs> me and my husband watching went, "No, do not put Ian with somebody else. Mm-hmm. He needs to be with Mickey." You know what I mean? It's like, no, don't but do it. You over. want them to be together. You want them to be together. You the want them to over, be together. Ask for it in a way that mm-hmm. acknowledges the work we did to mm-hmm. make you care that deeply. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and it, so it, it's that's all. I just yeah. think we talk to people in a way, and that's why I was reluctant to send that tweet. That's why okay. I tried to keep engaging gently and saying, mm-hmm. "Wait a minute, let me explain. Mm-hmm. Let me explain. Let me explain." <laughs> and then I was just like, "Fuck it." I broke my own rule, mm-hmm. but but actually, my rule is: if you wouldn't say it to a person sitting across the table, you yes. shouldn't write it online. True. If true. You, but the truth is, you've heard my mouth now. Yeah. I would say that to somebody yeah, you who's keep attacking it real. me across you keep the it table. Real, of I, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? So. 
so that's you know sometimes mm-hmm. you just you some uh, raise our let's raise our voices let's be activists mm-hmm. but let's be kinder to each other and we're all on the same side mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. at least we we in this conversation Definitely. we're on the same side Definitely. so yeah. Definitely. We're debating about the means to the same end. <laughs> but like I said, I read <laughs> sure. I retweeted it because I was like, you better go, girl. I love you. Better you better tell your shit. Tweeted my I did. I was like, that <laughs> shit right there tells me all about you. I was like, go, bitch. Awesome. <laughs> thank you so much. So, Thanks for inviting me to do this. Thank you so much for thank coming. You. This was awesome. And tell Peter I was doing him on my damn show. I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. make sure he's in the twig in the mix of the tweet. I'm gonna do it. It's damn done. It. He know who I am. <laughs> um so are you just Christ- Christopher enough? On Twitter? Hey, you know what? This podcast comes out tomorrow on Peter's yep. birthday. Oh, is it birthday tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Oh, I did see that on, on Facebook. Happy birthday, Happy birthday Peter. Happy birthday, birthday, Peter. Thank you for all that you do in yes. all of our lives, and especially mine. <laughs> and come on my shop. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you at, Tracy Grant? Uh, on Twitter, at the real Trey R-E-E-L-T-R-A-Y. Get at me. I will help you get your life right. That's what's up. And Jeez. I'm your host, <laughs> Hilliard Guest. I can't even speak right now. <clears throat> Hilliard Guest. You guys can follow me on Twitter at Hilliard Guest. You guys can follow the show, Screenwriters RR, on Twitter. I say Twitter like I'm cool. Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> you guys can um, um, please go on Screenwriters Rant Room um, at gmail.com if you have any questions for us. <clears throat> and also go on iTunes. Give us a five-star review. We really need that for the metrics. I got a feeling this is going to be a big episode. Everybody, all everybody's going to be talking. It's a, it's about it. a jewel. It's going to be crazy. No question. It's going to be oh, nice. nothing but game, girl. Thanks That's what I love. Guys. Nothing but game. <laughs> yes. So I want you to join in with us when we say 2016 okay. instead of keeping it 100. All right. <clears throat> so y'all know how we're doing on the rant room on this show. We keep it real. We keep it opinionated. And we keep it what everybody. 2016. 2016. Peace, y'all. Yeah. In the rant room, we say. Stars can be paid, there gotta be a dope ass story on the page. Let the beast about the cage that light about the dark. Can you build the inferno from the itty bitty spark? Coffee shop hustlers rise with the cream. A million of the writers, same Hollywood dream. Your pen and paper, all like bullets in the gun. Write what you feel, say what you want in the red room. We say what. So look, if you guys are grown, let's go ahead and get in. Mm-hmm.